Are you interested in the uh, Artemis moon rocket launch? Supposed to happen. I'm not a big uh, space geek. I'm a big space geek. Can you not be? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, I I think my first memory of space travel was the Challenger blowing up. Okay, so my, that might that be my, part of it. Yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, mine was going to the moon. Yeah, I was. I remember being in class when the challenge. We were we were all gathered together. Ooh, they put a TV teacher. in front of the class of hey, teachers kids, going into teacher. space, and then the whole thing blew up. And we just you know watched a terrible American tragedy happen as children in real time. So I don't really have. I don't I'll have that forget. passion for I'll the never space program. Her. Do you remember her? Do you remember her eyes? What color her eyes were? I don't. Yeah, blue. One blue this oh, way. Oh God! You are you serious? <laughs> did, did you? Did you really? Too soon. Is it too soon for you? You know, yes. <laughs> yes. You know what? It you really heartless is. bastard. <laughs> yes, it's too soon. I can't believe it worked on you. <laughs> anyway, uh, we'll be covering that probably on tomorrow's uh, podcast. Not only the eye color, but they've uh, in Artemis, they don't have any astronauts in it. They put like crash test dummies. I mean, yeah, that's, why? That's I mean, weird. you pretty much blow up also weren't the the krista mcauliffe jokes like the first viral jokes like i I don't know how it happened but everybody knew like what does nasa stand for need another seven astronauts that's the one i remember really or uh where did krista mcauliffe go uh on vacation all over florida this is really hurting this is hurtful i didn't make them up i you're the one that brought i got we got to get to the podcast (laughs) i'm i apologize for Stu. this is probably bad timing but you should subscribe to the podcast and rate and review it maybe maybe don't rate review it today today. not today maybe tomorrow and don't forget studios america as well both podcasts available wherever you get these pieces of crap uh (laughs) all right let me tell you about our sponsor it's gold line most Americans uh, don't know that it's possible to use your retirement account to acquire precious metals, and you could be saving up for retirement, but also at the same time building a protective wall against inflation and other forms of economic insanity that pop up from time to time. I just uh, I just talked this morning on the podcast about oh gosh, who was it? A big you know a big uh, hedge fund fifty fifty billion dollars worth of of uh money and capital that they oversee and they're like hey don't worry don't worry just hyperinflation is coming and that you know could very possibly lead to a global societal collapse wait what did you just say please contact goldline today ask for the information to see if gold or silver is right for you tell them that i sent you from the podcast give them uh, the code myb which means mind your business which was actually, before we had In God We Trust, we had that on our money in colonial days. It's the Mind Your Business silver bars that they will just give you for a thank you for calling in. Goldline.com or 866-GOLDLINE. 866-GOLDLINE. Here's the podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. Social today, uh, Trump has said, uh, hopefully this is a day that will be remembered as a great day in America. Uh, this is the day he is supposedly going to announce he's running for president of the United States. We need to fix uh, the problems that we have with elections. We need to make sure that every vote is counted. Every non-vote is thrown out. 
that it is transparent and the Republicans need to get their ass in gear and understand it's not 1971. Uh, an election attorney, Cleta Mitchell, she's argued in front of the Supreme Court. She has 40 years of experience in law, politics, public policy. She has practiced uh, before the Federal Election Commission, the Ethics Committees of the U.S. House and Senate, and similar state and local enforcement bodies and agencies. Currently, she runs the Election Integrity Network, a coalition of conservative leaders, organizations, public officials, and citizens dedicated to securing the legality of every American vote. Cleta, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me. And how am I? Well... I know. Um, How am I? Yeah. It's just, it's a, you know, this has been a long time coming. This is the frog in the boiling water. Yes. And, uh, and the water's definitely boiling. And the question is whether that frog has the ability to jump out at all left. That's what, that's what we're up against because the left has been about the business of remaking our election system for I would say really got started in in 2000 with a Bush v. Gore mm-hmm. effort, and they've been hard at it ever since. So, and this is the product. This so, is the product of their 22 years. Kalita, they uh, people are saying, you know, I think the election's been stolen. This is last time. There's questions in Maricopa County, um, but this doesn't seem to be like uh, they're producing, well, maybe in Nevada, that they're just producing documents. This is now the system, isn't it? It's the system. It is the system. And that's why I've been very reluctant to say about about 2020, the election was stolen. To me, that involves um, some massive effort to uh, manufacture votes. Right. Right. That's not how they do. That's not how they do it. What they've done is they well, just just think back for a moment. It used to be for those of us old enough to remember <laughs> that there was election day and you would go to the polls. You would listen to the candidates. There would be closing arguments the weekend before always the October surprise. Right. And then people would uh, in some national uh, unified manner go to the polls and cast their votes for the candidate of their choice. That isn't what happens now. We have state after state and a Democratic control. And honestly, it's not just Democrats, but there have been Republicans in state legislatures that have voted for some of these things. So that now we have Washington state started having uh, all male voting to the point that I think by 2010, 2012, they had no more polling places. Everything is done. Uh, behind closed doors. There's no observing that process. If you, Our election codes all say that there should be uh, Republican and Democratic uh, parties appointed observers to watch each other, keep it honest. Well, now such a tiny percentage of the vote occurs at the polling places where if people make a mistake, they can get help, and then their vote goes into the tabulator. What happens now And what we've seen in Maricopa and in Nevada, which is just a total cake, that's total third world chaos. But what happens now, and this is a system built by the left because it benefits them. Now, they they go after collectives of, of people who may or may not exist or may or may not be cognizant that there's even an election going on. 
And if they can figure out how to get that person somehow connected to a ballot, and then if there's a problem, you know, that's deposited or it's mailed or it's collected, and then people in the election offices fix it if they forget to sign it or they don't have any identifying information, they just cure it. In Nevada, the Culinary Workers Union, I, I read last week that they they collected and cured over 6,000 ballots that were completely wrong, didn't have the fine information, and they, get, and they do that for days and days after the election. I mean, this is mystifying to me why the Republican Party has not, and I've been talking about this for decades, I've tried to say, we're running two different ball games here. Right. We're not playing, you know, they're playing hockey and we're playing basketball. Well, that's, it? It's the and, same thing on almost everything, Cleta, in, in Washington. It's, it's like they're playing the game yes. that was played in 1971. Or earlier. Yeah. It's just, and I don't know, it's very frustrating to me, but I will tell you, Glenn, I, I, would, I cut my political teeth as a Democrat. I was raised in Oklahoma when Oklahoma was a very Democratic state. Uh, I was very interested in politics from an early age and would, and would always tell my mother, don't go vote till I get home from school. And, um, and you know, we, we had election day and all. But I, I cut my political teeth. I was a legislator in Oklahoma as a Democrat. And so I, I learned that what well, Democrats, they just think of the process. What's the process? Of what are the procedures and the rules of political engagement? Campaign finance, how the elections are conducted. What are the lobbying rules? What are the disclosure rules? What are the ethics and FOIA? All these process things. Those are all written by Democrats. I, Republicans barely even pay attention. I've fought battles on campaign finance saying, don't you realize what the left is doing? They're trying to bust up the Republicans' way of doing things, which mm-hmm. they did with McCain-Feingold. Mm-hmm. And they've done it with election laws, with all of this mail voting, with all of this post-election uh, activity where they can continue to collect votes and cure them and fix them. Uh, and Republicans and conservatives, it's not just Republicans, conservatives think about tax policy and education policy and all of those kinds of things. They don't think about the fact that the left has spent, I calculated with the Capital Research Center, they, I thought it was $2 billion. They said now it's closer to 11 to $14 billion oh my God. over the last decade, over the last decade, changing the election laws around the country, creating massive numbers of entities that are involved in ballot design, ballot envelope design, getting uh, people who uh, are in states that allow this, where they send out applications for absentee ballots, and all the all the all the moron voter has to do is just sign it and send it in, and not even follow those state laws. And then you have election officials that disregard the requirements that the legislatures put into place. I mean, it is lawlessness. It is the wild west, and we better wake up. So, um, I, I mean, the, better wake up. The GOP did this to themselves in Pennsylvania. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oh, Pennsylvania is my poster child. Um, I almost wrote an article uh, in October 2020 to say, watch what's going to happen in Pennsylvania. It's going to be a nightmare again. Yes, the Republicans controlled legislature 
Pennsylvania had one of the best state election codes in the country because it was no excuse absentee. You had to have an excuse to vote absentee. You had to be out of the jurisdiction on election day. They didn't have any early voting. Everybody voted on election day. No absentee balloting, no mail voting, unless unless you were infirmed or uh, out of the jurisdiction. The legislature, geniuses that they were, they, you know, the, the Democrats have been pushing, pushing, pushing to get uh, a no excuse absentee ballots, uh, absentee voting put in place for a long time. And the Republicans decided that they were worried in 20 that in, at the top of the ticket in 2020 would be Donald Trump and that that would hurt them because they had straight party voting. You could just go in and vote for the person at the top of the ticket and it automatically populated for everybody on the Republican or the Democratic ticket. So they cut a deal with the Democratic governor that they would allow, they would pass Act 77, which is a mess, a nightmare, which allows for um, no excuse absentee voting, got rid of straight party voting, but it required a signature so that the your absentee ballot at least had to have a signature as a verification, and that was in the statute. So in September of 2020, the Democrat appointed state uh, sec- secretary of state, the governor appoints, so it's always someone with the governor's party, issued an, a notice to all of the counties that they were to disregard the statutory requirement for a signature on the absentee ballots because of COVID. Now, you realize that COVID made it impossible for people to sign their names. You may not have read that as a symptom, but apparently that was, uh, that was, the, that was the pretext. Right. So the Republicans sued and say, well, the statute says this. And they had a Democrat-controlled state Supreme Court, which said, oh, because of COVID, you don't have to have that. that, that, that just disregard that statute. So you had this year. Let me tell you what happened this year. I mean, I could talk about this. I'm sorry. I That's all right. That's so. all right. You know, Cleta, <laughs> here's, here's the thing. I, I want people to go to whoscounting.us. What can the average person do to help you? Well, sign up. Sign up to become involved in the election integrity movement. We are building um, and uh, we are trying to build and we have made some good progress, uh, but we have so much more to do. Everybody needs to realize that saving our election is tantamount to saving our country. You can't save our country if we don't save our election. Correct. We're building a local election integrity task forces and we have training. We have the citizen's guide to building an election integrity infrastructure has all the steps. We now have the master class. These are five to seven minute videos about how to start a local task force, how to become involved in your county and your or your city, how to uh, protect vulnerable voters, how to clean voter rolls, how to honestly, there's so much wrong. There's so much wrong. We have seven different categories of things people need to be doing at the local level. That's what has to start. Well, all voting is local. Um, all voting is local. Can we find all of this at whoscounting.us? Everything. And okay. we have a podcast. I'm doing, and I'm doing, I'm now going through an interview in each of the state leaders since the election. So we're going to be putting out, I usually do a weekly podcast, but now I'm going to do one every couple of days from different states to tell okay. everybody, here's what's happened in our state this year. So we need, we need people to be involved and engaged. We okay. can't give up. We can't get discouraged. Uh, no, no, quite the opposite. We really need to fix this. Uh, if we don't fix the voting, you're exactly right. It, it, nothing else matters. 
So who's counting dot us? Who's counting dot us? Cleta, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You Appreciate you. Cleta Mitchell. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. We are talking to a very brave FBI agent. I wish there were more of them. Where are you, local FBI agents? Uh, Steve Friend is his name. He's an FBI whistleblower. He objected to being part of the January 6th raids for several reasons. First of all, um, before I get to some other things, can you tell me, um, you said earlier that you thought it was um, cruel and inhumane treatment, I think you said, uh, the way some of these prisoners are being handled. Can you tell me anything you know about that? Well, I can only speak to you know what I've read about uh, how, how folks are being held in the D.C. jails who have actually been taken into custody. Uh, my, my genuine concern uh, was the the process being a punishment for people who actually were never we never intended or were going to not right. be able to charge. So you know, just sitting down somebody in front of them you know stresses them out. A lot of these guys had to hire attorneys. Uh, the one individual I participated in with an interview, he had lost his job and was. You know, retaining an attorney, and it was for you know walking in the Capitol uh, after having gained permission of the police. So, what was the point of us right you know, going through that process? You know, it's a, it's amazing to me. You you said um, at one point you you said that the process is the punishment, and when you think of that, that is terrifying because. That means that even if they can't charge you or you're not really guilty of anything, they're going to make this so horrible on you that you just stay away from everything. You teach you teach people a lesson. Stay away. Don't even get close to any of this. That's exactly right. I mean, even you can go back to what happened to Michael Flint. I mean, you know, he was forced to sell his house and essentially become bankrupt in order to, to mount a defense and ultimately pled guilty to avoid his son being roped into it. So that's the process is the punishment. And the FBI um, designated the grassy area area outside the U.S. Capitol as a restricted zone after January 6th. And did they apply that rec- retroactively to be able to look and say, well, you were in that restricted zone on January 6th? That's my understanding that they, they wanted to really send a message and then gather more people up in this dragnet. So they decided that the, the lawn on the outside of the Capitol, outside of those four walls, was going to be deemed restricted because at some point there had been some barricades. But just anecdotally, I heard individuals who were there on the 5th, they said they saw barricades, but on the 6th, the morning of, they saw people removing them. So there's a little bit of uh, hmm. suspect action being involved with that. Um, tell me about Guardians, the tools that they use to investigate called Guardians. So Guardian is a software system. Uh, I like to think of it as like the 911 system in the FBI. Uh, you, you call 911, just cat in the tree uh, for your neighborhood. You can do that to the FBI, to the uh, National Intake Center. Uh, those folks there deal with uh, probably 3,000 calls a day or, or, dig- or electronic communications. Uh, they kind of pull through it and disseminate them to the field for a proper investigative action. So when it came to January 6th, 
there was a huge uptick in the amount of guardians that came into the FBI, and it was from all over the country. It could be from a disgruntled neighbor who didn't like his uh, buddy across the street having a, a MAGA flag. It could be a uh, family member ratting on a family member. You know, my, my uncle was there. He, he, he told me he was there. So people that were trying to, uh, to be helpful to the FBI in, in pursuing this investigation, uh, a lot of them actually just went to the FBI website and looked at pictures and then would call, call in a tip saying, you know, this uh, unknown subject he looks like somebody I went to high school with. And uh, those tips would come in. Uh, they would be pushed out to you know, wherever was deemed the appropriate geographical location. Uh, so for me, you know, I, I got one uh, that was really the, the first interaction I had. Uh, it was an anonymous tip from Rhode Island that said uh, this individual was, was involved in assaulting police officers at the January 6th riot. Uh, they had done a workup on this guy. Uh, his phone, had the, G, the geo fence on his phone, the GPS, did not ping at the capital. Uh, the facial recognition with the, his social media accounts did not come up with a positive match, but I was still asked to go and attempt to do an interview. So it's not illegal for me to knock on anybody's door and, and, and say, hey, I'm the FBI. Do you want to talk to me? Right. Uh, it's called a knock and talk. But uh, you know, it, it was just kind of a concern just because even if he admitted to being at the Capitol, there was no complaint. It, it was going to be very difficult to even charge the case. So uh, I still just good team player at that point uh, said, all right, I'll go knock on his door. Went, went to the drove about an hour, an hour and a half, uh, knocked on the door. Met a gentleman there said, I am with the FBI. We were looking at January 6th. Were, were you at the Capitol that day? And he looked at me and said, no, uh, that was the day of my son's funeral. So uh, I just, you know, well, I guess I made him relive that whole experience and uh, gave him my business card and was on my merry way. So that was my, my first, uh, guardian that I had for any of the January 6th. Mm. Um, are you seeing an escalation of political targeting at the FBI? How concerned about all the things that we're seeing with the FACE Act, now the FBI coming in in the middle of the night and arresting 78-year-old people, the idea that if you disagree at the school board, you're a, somehow or another a terrorist? Yeah, I, I think there's definitely a political element. I think there's a there's two dueling things. There's, there's politics and there's ambition. Sometimes there's one, sometimes it's the other. Sometimes there's both, I think. Uh, and there are some true believers. Definitely my special agent in charge, uh, Sherry Onks, is a, of the political left, made no secret about that. She, she sent out emails about the, the Dobbs decision being the, the Supreme Court taking away women's rights. And she put a gay pride flag display up in her office in Jacksonville. Uh, but then you have my assistant special agent in charge, uh, Colt Markowski, who I, I believe is probably more ambitious, kind of saw this as being a huge case for the FBI, than, than bigger than 9-11. And you know, if you get your name on something with January 6th and you can claim you had supervising responsibilities in some way of the largest and most important case that the agencies ever worked, that's, that's going to be a pretty good ticket for you to, to promote within the, uh, the organization. And I think just recently, you know, with, the, with these FACE Acts, uh, you know, I've had a little bit of experience with it just being on uh, human trafficking investigations. I, I reached out to some of the crisis pregnancy centers after the, the Jackson Dobbs case uh, just because I was worried that they might have some, uh, some threats come in. Uh, and then I also figured that they, they might actually see some human trafficking victims that could be a good uh, resource right. for me. Did that, uh, got a little helmet sticker from, from, the, from the bosses but then was also told that uh, I really needed to prioritize looking into abortion clinics because they were really going to be the ones that were 
at risk. <laughs> really? Uh, and I, mm. I responded, I, I think the only time that the team that wins does that is like when the Lakers win the title, they burn the city. But otherwise, <laughs> I don't think that the, uh, the pro-life side is going right. to burn down places that are going to be shut down. Right. But that, that's just my critical thinking. Uh, and last question, and I know I asked you this uh, before, but uh, why aren't we seeing more FBI agents coming out? We've always thought that these guys were the best of the best. You know, conservatives have always given them a pass, which we I don't think we should have. Um, but uh, now they're showing themselves to be. Uh, I think less than honorable if they're seeing things themselves and are not standing up against it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm hard, disheartened by this myself. Um, I, you know, I told you uh, the other night, you know, I, I really thought that I was going to have the, the Captain America endgame moment where, you know, I fought a battle and even in my most dire situation, I would get that on your left moment. And uh, you know, there would be my, my brother and sister in arms, standing there and uh, they just aren't I, i'm i'm done talking about the good men and women at the fbi yeah, i know that's the politically correct thing that uh, all of our, our leaders like to say to make sure the donations keep coming in but um i, I i'm no longer doing that I, I think that you know it's a really sweet gig to be an fbi agent i lived it for eight years uh, it's a great job you're the most interesting person um maybe with the exception of radio show host uh that you walk in <laughs> any room uh-huh. Uh, everybody yeah. wants to ask you questions and the big case. Um, and, uh, you can really get by on a 20 year career being grossly overpaid and underworked. And folks just kind of play that same narrative where they say, oh, I'm just trying to pay the bills and put food on the table and I'm going to keep my head down. I only got a few years to, to retirement. Um, but you know, I, I swore an oath and I, I, you know, like I voiced to my bosses, I, I guess you guys found the one that uh, actually took their oath seriously. I, I believed in it. And I, I that's why I wanted to do the job. So this was a job. So I did the job and it never occurred to me that, that that was not, um, that was an option to, to not do that. Um, unfortunately, I guess the other, uh, 14,000 agents who, uh, who wear the gun and badge, uh, don't share my sentiments. Well, we have all kinds of oversight. If the, uh, if the Republicans gain the house, it looks like they're going to at this point. And, uh, I know you're in touch with, uh, people on Capitol Hill and I, I hope we see more of you, and I, I hope all of this comes to light and we do clean up this organization or shut it down. If it won't be cleaned up, then shut it down. Steve, thank you so much. Thank you, Glenn. You bet. Steve Friend, uh, former FBI agent, um, he has had quite a transformation. You'll see him uh, tomorrow as he talks about some of the cases uh, that we have in front of you tomorrow. It is a really very important show because we don't know our constitution. Uh, you know, uh, Mike Lee's son uh, came with his wife and, and Mike and uh, we went out to dinner afterwards and his son is actually, uh, I think he's clerking for the Supreme court now. And uh, he said, you know, when I, I heard my dad was coming to this, I wanted to come. He said, but, so many places are just going to get you all riled up uh, and then leave it there. And he said, I was so glad to see the panel and what you guys were doing, because what we tried to do was show you what can happen to you. And it is on the increase. We've never had to think about being an enemy of the state. 
We never have been. We believe in the Constitution. How can we possibly be the enemy of the of the government and the and the Constitution when we are calling for the use of the Constitution? And you never have thought of yourself as a rebel, a rebel. But now you are just for standing up. You'll hear the story of a guy who lost his children because he would not go along with calling his son, who does not want to be called a girl, a girl. It can happen to you, and we are going to give you the do's and don'ts and what you need to do to prepare for these things. It's a introductory, really, on the Constitution and how you should behave. And there is one shocking thing that I think... Uh, conservatives have never even thought of before uh, that uh, is overwhelming advice from the experts. That's tomorrow night only on Blaze TV. Go to blazetv.com slash Glenn. Use the uh, promo code stand up and uh, save our biggest savings ever. $30 on your uh, one year subscription. So it's 70 bucks now for a year. Believe me, you will get more than $70 worth of uh, value out of that with all the shows that we have and the specials that we have uh, coming up. It is so important now more than ever that we stay in touch with each other and have a direct line of communication. Being a Blaze family member is one way to do that. BlazeTV.com slash Glenn. Use the promo code STANDUP. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Let me tell you a little bit about um, the Great Reset and ESG. ESG is. Uh, Regarded to uh, by many in mainstream media as a hoax, as something that just is not happening. Let me give you two stories uh, that have come out today. The first one is from Bloomberg, uh, and it will show you how it is working on the highest of levels. And it is the E. Now, some people will will admit, okay, the E is happening. Yeah, we're getting rid of. Fossil fuels. So the E is happening, but but not the S and the G. So let me just give you the first one. The head of the World Bank came under fire recently for not being tough enough on climate change. This is, by the way, in Bloomberg. So now he's going to go all in on ESG. World Bank President David Malpass calls for expanding the development lender's mission to explicitly include public goods such as climate change. Weeks after his hesitance uh, to publicly confirm his belief in global warming led to calls for his removal. So he's like, well, you know, I'm not sure we know all of the causes of global warming. Everybody in the power players, they all said he's got to go. Well, he didn't. Instead, Managers at the Washington-based institution will now review its operational model and financial model to find ways to boost lending, including using more grant and blended finance. 
Malpass said in a note to bank staff on Monday, seen by Bloomberg News, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen last month proposed changes for the World Bank and regional development banks, pushing them to move beyond country-specific loans to address global threats and speed the flow of private capital to poor and emerging economies. The U.S. is the world's largest shareholder of the World Bank. Oh, okay. So they want to get a little more aggressive in loaning, in loaning money to poor countries. Okay. Now that's the E. Let's go to the S. We actually have people now in legislatures, Republicans, all over the country that deny ESG is even real. October 24th, the FHFA, the Federal Housing Finance Agency, announced that lenders will soon be required to use two new credit scoring models, FICO 10T and and Vantage Score 4.0, in order to sell mortgages to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Now, the FHFA is the one that oversees the public-private institutions. Remember, we're all about public-private partnerships. So Freddie and Fannie, what do they do? They own most of the mortgages. They underwrite. They backstop most of the mortgages in America. The government is on the hook for those. Your bank doesn't own your house. Freddie or Fannie most likely own your house. Okay? And uh, they... If you're going to sell something to them, well, then they need to see the Vantage Score 4.0. These, quoting the article, these two new credit scores are deliberately designed to make millions more of people eligible to purchase homes. Oh. Vantage Score estimates that 37 million people will receive a credit score under their new model alone that are not currently captured by a FICA score. About 10.7 million will have a score of 620 or above, the minimum score for a mortgage that can be sold to Fannie and Freddie. Under the new credit model, people will be able to improve their scores by engaging in activities that don't have anything to do with capital ownership or credit history. Hmm. What will they be scored on, I wonder? Couple of things here. Stu, why does everybody that you know lived through 2008 know the names Fannie and Freddie? They're central to the mortgage meltdown. Oh, they were? Why? How? They, I mean, partially because they were giving out mortgages to people who didn't traditionally qualify for them right like, and they were backed up because the banks were told you better do this stuff you better right. get we need to get home ownership rates up right we need to show we need to have higher rates of diversity among homeowners mm-hmm. so they gave it to people who uh, may be great people but maybe didn't have the credit scores or the resources or the finances to actually pay them back they were risky oh. mortgages they bundled them all together they created all sorts of uh, collateralized, collateralized debt uh, obligations on top of them and, and the whole house of cards. That's amazing. So now 37 million Americans are going to be have the door open and at least 10 million 
almost 11 million will have the score that now is above. They can't afford a house now. But when they improve their scores by engaging in activities that don't have anything to do with capital ownership or credit history, they can have a higher score so they can buy that house. Oh, that's so they're great. not going to have they're not going to become more credit worthy. They're just going to become better people, better people well, like they love the environment better more than people. another lend person who might have a higher yes. credit score. But we'll give them yes. the mortgage because they love, you know, right. clouds and the mm-hmm. sky and trees, mm-hmm. clean air. They'll be able to sell mortgage now to mortgages to people, including many who are probably unqualified banks and mortgage companies will be able to do that. And then immediately sell those to Fannie and Freddie Mac, unloading the liabilities on the back of the banks and instead shoving it right to the taxpayers back. Banks and mortgage companies will make truckloads of cash without really any risk. Almost as importantly, those companies participating in the program are also going to receive a boost in their ESG score. Because they are now helping improve racial equity. So person A shows what a great citizen they are. Mm-hmm. And then group B gives them a better rate, which shows them what a great citizen they are. Right. And then since group, since person A is doing business with group B, that probably raises their ESG score again. Yes. And then group <laughs> B or A, the bank, can right. sell it. To you. Yeah. And now it's and on now it's your on, back. And now, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I probably get a boost in my ESG score just for taking on that terrible debt that shouldn't right. be anywhere other, uh, that should have never existed in the first place. This is, you know, this sort of circuitous idea that you can con- continually, I mean, th- you know, this is uh, Schrute Bucks. You know, Dwight Schrute comes into the office one day and yep. he's got his be- he's got you know, his own currency at his beet farm and everyone's like, ah, that's all work. Just keep spending shrewd bucks on it. Well, that's not the, the, the economy does not work on shrewd bucks. No, no, this is going to make the housing market more unstable. It will distort the market. It's going to cause another 2008 collapse. Um, you know, remember, though, the people who are pushing ESG want you to own nothing and be happy. So let's think this through. What happens when you add 10.7 million people to the housing market without increasing the supply of homes? More money in the market chasing fewer homes. That means inflation, the price of housing, will go up a ton. And who owns a lot of the single-family homes these days? Oh, Hedge funds like BlackRock, they're going to make out huge from this. And they aren't worried about competing with those folks who are entering the marketplace. They don't even have enough credit to have a credit history. Never mind win bidding wars with, you know, BlackRock or other Wall Street firms. Here's the thing. Biden has bragged that this will make the market more inclusive and that industry stakeholders support the moves. This is great. Now, I want you to know this important part. This is not coming from me. Vantage Score is selling their credit uh, model by making the promise. I want you to go to vantagescore.com slash capital dash markets 
slash ESG. I'll tweet this out. But you go there and you will see creating social value through ESG, quoting their website. Vantage credit scores are often used by capital markets participants in both the consumer lending asset-backed securities market and the residential mortgage-backed security market. Um, You're going to have leverage and the best-in-class accuracy. It will include the underserved. It will demonstrate a commitment to ESG and some of the benefits, the key benefits, most predictive, best-in-class model. Credit scores are going to be updated in real time, allowing for rigorous surveillance processes. Oh, so I watched the episode of The Black Mirror where your credit (laughs) score is updated in real time, and it was a vigorous surveillance process. Sure was. That's on their website. Anyone who tells you this is a conspiracy, it's not going to happen. It's not going to reach down to you. It just has. Yeah, well, and it's already been. Ha- I mean, aren't they in billions of dollars here? I mean, how much? What are the levels of usage uh, in this already? Yeah, are, let me uh, see if I can find that. It is not it, day one of this no, program. No, no, they're no. bragging about billions and billions and billions of dollars being utilized already through this program. Yeah, they, it was like uh, eight point seven. Um, here it is. Uh, Vantage scores used from March twenty twenty one to February twenty twenty two, fourteen point five billion. Vantage scores provided by consumer websites, $4.8 billion. Vantage scores used by credit card issuers, $3.7 billion. So they are already using this. It's at Chase, LendingTree. It's at American Express, Capital One, um, Credit Karma. All of it. All of it is being used right now. And they've been telling you that it's just a conspiracy theory. I urge you to go to VantageScore.com and just uh, peek around. Look for their credit scores. Oh, it's so great. You can do other things to qualify for a mortgage. Gee, I wonder what those other things are. Na, 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 na.